Geek Top 5, Season 5. I'm so happy you're here. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> this is so exciting. Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And we have the opinions about the new series, He-Man. Well, actually, it's not. Is He-Man even in the title? I think it's just Masters of the Universe Revelation. Two, well, two parts, but let's face it, it's two sets of five episodes each uh, released on Netflix. It is the sequel to the He-Man cartoon of our childhood. Um, and no need to bury the lead. Uh, Graham and I aren't doing that on our own. We needed to go straight to Grayskull to get the expert on this kind of stuff. <laughs> Coming back uh, for this episode, our, our go-to He-Man expert, our, our the master of the universe, we have Dr. Mark Schranz joining us. Hello, with everyone. A cat. Let me just, uh, <laughs> let me, of course, with my cat, uh, Simone, also known as Panthor. Let me just uh, <laughs> grab my sort of power and power her up. This is also weirdly one of two new He-Man cartoons that are on Netflix right now, but we won't be addressing the second one, the the more child-friendly one, at least not in this episode. Yeah, it's, it's, it sounds like you're casting shade at it, but, uh, but no, this is an interesting project. Um, this comes from Kevin Smith. Who uh, you? I mean, I guess he's most famous for being Silent Bob, but in, but but I mean, really, it's he's a, he's a writer, a director, uh, a cultural icon, uh, and at some point, somehow, he managed to pitch to people, "I want to do, I want to do a sequel to He Man, and I want to do it in the style of six year old kids running around at recess saying, "Oh my God, wouldn't it be cool if.'" Uh, something we all did with all the childhood franchise, everything from Transformers to Power Rangers. We, when we would run around and say, "Oh, wouldn't it be cool if if this guy died and then this person became the new hero?" And this, thing, like all the crazy ideas that wouldn't really fit into an episodic sort of you know four kids project. It it's got all of that except through the lens of a melancholy forty something filled with regret. <laughs> I mean, a if you made what should we call it? Get high in walrus movie, you'd be full of regret too. <laughs> I I'm not even like trying to throw any sort of shade or whatever at Kevin Smith. It's just like throughout the show, there's just people apologizing for for slights and for and trying to make the world a better place than it was, and and parent-child dynamics is really is not the sort of stuff you would play on a, a schoolyard but then there's also giant muscle men of action with huge swords and guns and god knows what else i you know i don't know about that i think uh there, there's certainly a lot of the spirit of, of the the original is is captured there there is it is a little melancholy right but i think there's certainly um yeah, it's it's not it's not completely out of character. I think overall, I would say he he got the spirit of He Man for sure. And you have to like I mean, well, actually, hold on, just in case you haven't figured it out yet, audience. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, but I mean, you 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 definitely said when you were a kid, you said, "Oh, what would it be like if Skeletor had the power? Oh, wouldn't that be cool? What if what if he got it and killed He Man?" Like. 
those kind of crazy turnarounds, those definitely came up when you were a kid. I guess so. I think my, my main question for Mark, though, is is I don't even think the concept of the power of Grayskull being transferable was addressed at all in the original series. It was just He-Man had the power and that was it. And in the, this, everyone, well, not everyone, but a significant number of characters end up getting that power. Yeah, I mean, a lot of... There, there have been some expansions to the mythology, I think, for sure. Uh, uh, yeah, in the original, I mean, the certainly the, the sorceress in the original wasn't the original sorceress, so passing on that title is, is not completely new. I mean, She-Ra, his twin sister, had the power in the original. But, and, and yeah, there's a sense in which sort of he imbued Cringer with the power to become Battle Cat. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's not completely in line with the canon. There's a, there's a few things that sort of did depart, but, you know, I mean, you can reimagine things a little bit here and there. That's fine. Um, and it makes it more interesting. I, was, I, wasn't, I wasn't offended by it. Uh, okay, that's, a, that's that's an important detail. Is as the hardcore fan, if you weren't offended, I think that's a good sign. So why don't we dive into the the series? We're gonna go episode by episode, and uh, I'll do a little brief rundown on what happened, and then we'll talk about what we thought of it. Uh, this is done in the classic Netflix style of just dropping a whole bunch of episodes all at once, and then uh, so so. There wasn't a lot of time to stew on each episode, so maybe we might get things mixed up from from episode to episode. Mm-hmm. But let's let's get started. Uh, episode one is called "The Power of Gray Skull." Uh, all the episodes are directed by Adam Conero and Patrick Stannard, but this episode in particular is credited to to Kevin Smith as the writer. Uh, there's a celebration happening at the the castle. Tila is going to become the new man at arms, but Skeletor and Evil Lynn trick their way inside and uh, get access to the main power source of the castle. And He-Man sacrifices himself to save everyone in the process. Magic gets destroyed in the universe. The He-Man's powerful sword gets split in two. And most importantly, He-Man and Skeletor both seemingly die. Oh, and also Tila feels real sad that no one told her that uh, her friend Prince Adam was actually He-Man. And she well, bails. Wouldn't, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? I don't I, think so. <laughs> that was one yeah. of the big, like, that's the big conceit of the series. And when I first saw it, I was like, really? This is what is the the compelling moment? This is what the whole series is turning on? Tila feeling sad that no one told her the secret? Yeah, I... I... I, I get it a bit. I get, I get her feeling, but yeah, I'll, I'll agree that it does sort of. I mean, was, we'll sort of get to this as we get to later episodes. But I sort of felt that there was sort of a part in the middle of the the middle of the first part was under motivated. I think, um, and and that's that's part of that. The, she turns so quickly. It was a I, rewatching it. Uh, it wasn't didn't seem so weird to me that it as it did the first time but yeah the first time the first watch through i was yeah i mean i i was willing to give it as sort of misplaced grief like misplaced trauma 
mm-hmm. the I mean, especially considering the stakes of this one, like two seasons of He-Man and Skeletor playing cat and mouse, and then they just obliterate each other. And you know, not only do they die, but all of magic in this realm of magic dies. Like, I think it makes a lot more sense from the king, like you know, who just lost his son. But I get it from Tila's perspective too. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to say that you know, she's she's angry and depressed that her friend just got killed, and that it looks like the world is coming to an end, and she's. She you know, let using the outlet the only way she can. In this case, it's storming off. Yeah. Overall, I think I really like this episode, and I sort of i I feel it's a bit of a shame that uh, they did drop them all at once. Um, because you know, I got to find out within I don't know an uh, hour and a half that He Man wasn't permanently dead. Adam wasn't permanently dead. Although, spoilers. Uh, <laughs> Sort of spoilers. And I, I, you know, this is this episode is sort of a microcosm in a sense of the rest of the series. And I I know one of the sort of the the thoughts Kevin Smith had about the whole thing was that he he said he, he wished he didn't divide it into two parts, but I actually think it worked really well dividing it that way. Maybe less of a weight. But yeah. I like I like the 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 feeling when I came back to the second part, man, I it was great. Yeah, the oh my god, I can't believe they did that. What's going to happen next? Letting that settle for a while, like a good curry, right? You have to let it seep <laughs> into everything. Yeah, um, go, yeah, yeah, sort of similar to that feeling I first had um, when uh, when I saw you know the best of both worlds part one. Hmm. Right. Yeah, you have to spend the entire summer wondering what happened to Picard. Like that would not that that would not have the same impact if they released that all in one set. Yeah. Uh, so one of the the key things that He Man is known for, at least in the original run, were some interesting voice choices and. Mm-hmm. This so so we have to talk a little bit about the voices because yeah. Kevin Smith brought an all-star cast to this, including Mark Hamill as Skeletor, which was greeted with uh, a bit of I think anyway a big bit of a mix of enthusiasm and also some disappointment because the original Skeletor had such an iconic voice, and that voice actor not only is still alive but does a voice in the in in this very episode. So yeah. it was a little weird having him not be involved doing the voice again, but he's also a 90 year old man and maybe he just doesn't want to screech for hours at a time doing the voice. Yeah. Like I think that's the the key difference. Like Skeletor has an iconic voice, but it's not pleasant to hear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There have been other Skeletors as well. um, Ranging from uh, absolutely terrible in the, the new adventures of He-Man to, uh, Frank, Frank Langella. Yeah, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, so it's fine. No, it's fine to have another actor. Um, but, you know, when we did the sort of the first installment of this, I remember thinking, oh, yeah, Mark Hamill, that's so great. And I have to I have to say I, I, how, to, how to put this and not, you know, um, <laughs> excise myself to geek hell. Uh I wasn't always impressed, as impressed with uh, his Skeletor as I wanted to be. Yeah, he's sort of more most famous these days for being the Joker, and yeah. he brings a lot of Joker to to it. He certainly does. There were some, 
there were some moments in later episodes where he does the uh yeah, kind yeah. Of thing. and that that didn't that didn't work for me the rest worked great um and i think there was sometimes you know i mean alliteration was uh, all over the place certainly in the original the, the classic you bumbling boobs um but I felt there was a little bit too much of it and it didn't always work sort of with his pacing. Um, mm. I think they had trouble just making him a more serious character. I mean, again, the going back to the wouldn't it be cool if thing, a lot of really, like there's a lot of emotions and character development in this on a level that I'm comfortable saying wasn't present in the original 1985 He-Man. You know, like there wasn't a ton of character to Skeletor that mm-hmm. back then, besides cackling, and I, and I think that he had to come up with something new, right? If all you had was the screeching and the cackling, like there's no room for that emotional depth. Yeah, you know, I think I think the problem is what, what the, there wasn't much choice. Uh, not only because you knew to make it appealing to us, but between that, you have uh, you have. Obviously, Frank Langella's Skeletor, which A plus, uh, <laughs> and and you have the two thousand two uh, uh, He Man cartoon, which there there was there was some development there too. So it's, but it, I think I think I see sort of there's it's it's the original Skeletor with, and this is sort of one of the things to talk about maybe at the end with the same bad motivations. Um, in the same sort of, there's character development. Uh, there's maybe there's there's exploration of his character, but there's not actually character development. Right, That's the way to say it. Yeah, N- not with definitely not with Skeletor, but mm-hmm. I, there. I one of the things that I think people, uh, a certain segment of the online community, were not thrilled about even before the show started was that it's more of a Tila show than a He-Man show. And by the end, not only is it a Tila show and and He-Man returns and has a a major role, but evil Lynn is surprisingly central to the whole thing. And and she has a lot of growth too, was why, where I was going with that. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, let's let's make it clear. I mean, I mean, certainly, I know Graham and I like we're totally okay with that. Um, <laughs> the I, I don't know that the reasons to be opposed to that are necessarily made in good faith a lot of the time. Um, and I thought like I was perfectly fascinated with watching some of the other characters. I think the only thing I have against Tila is that it was so clearly Sarah Michelle Geller that I couldn't divorce I couldn't divorce the actress from the character. That did make it difficult, yeah. Um, and I think sort of when I was thinking about this this whole review, I wanted to I wanted to say that the title of my review, if I had to give a one line, would be, uh, especially considering the one part to the second, would be "Oh ye man child of little faith," uh, hmm. okay, because please. I thought it because re- it really paid off in the you know in the second episode you know there were there were all these complaints about um there's so little he-man and there was a lot of he-man in the second and you got yeah. you got if you were you know if you're one of these uh gentlemen who uh <laughs> buys a pickup truck to just drive around the city um and sort of you were you were disappointed that there wasn't 
it wasn't just all big barbarian men running around all the time. You certainly got that in one of the episodes we haven't talked about yet, but um, yeah, I, I think, you know, there, there was this really, really negative reaction after the, after the first part, because a lot of people didn't exactly get what they wanted, but I, yeah, I, I, I really liked it overall. It was a really, a really great experience and I'm, Sort of, I'm looking forward to the second season or the yeah. installment. Yeah. Maybe we should works. circle back to the episodes and make this easier to talk yeah. about once yeah, we've yeah. covered all the... <laughs> yeah. Okay, know. so let's move on to episode two. It's called The Poison Chalice. Uh, mm-hmm. This one was written by Daya Mishra. This one is sort of harder to summarize. It's, uh, it's a flash forward to some point sometime after the mm-hmm. the first episode and Tila has a new friend named Andra and they're mercenaries they're going around retrieving stuff they're going on little missions they're they're like little han solos going around and causing trouble they get this glove from Stinkor they get hired by an old woman to go get a goblet from Snake Mountain and they go up there and and Snake Mountain is now taken over by Triclops who has this cult of technology they worship the master motherboard it's filled with awful computer puns but there's it's a sort of a neat mix of technology and religion uh then it turns out that the old woman is evil lynn in disguise they go find the sorceress and the sorceress is dying and she's like magic is dying and she needs the three women to get together and reforge the sword so they can bring magic back and in order to do that tila decides that they have to go uh, find man at arms her her dad and that's how the episode ends yeah i think I, I this may have been my least favorite episode i think there was a there was as you sort of as you said more or less there was a lot of stuff that happened um, right and uh it's not it wasn't always easy to see what the point of it was uh with with the the whole sort of i mean i get the the premise okay magic is gone um, people are still evil. Uh, they're still going to want to gain, you know, power over others. So are they going to use, obviously they're going to use technology. Right. Um, but I, at, you know, at first I felt that was sort of just like, I don't know. I didn't know where it was going now, you know, fast forward to the end. Now I know where it was going and now I see maybe that's going to be something that I'm looking to pay off in the second season. Um, but you know, we'll get to that. Uh, still, I'm not. I'm not sure about the whole motherboard thing. Um, is there is there anything to that from the original run? No, I guess spoiler. Uh, it's the motherboard <laughs> yeah. is is the horde, um, and the horde are the bad guys from Shira. Yeah, horde deck. Well, yeah, sort of. Um, okay, <laughs> they're the they're the main bad guys from Shira, but uh, in in Shira, uh, the and 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 this is sort of this is referenced a bit in in this new one. Um, the sort of the horde was uh, sort of the villains before Skeletor, and Skeletor was um, actually Hordak's apprentice. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So and uh, and there's a sort of a, a reference to. Uh, in the, I think it's the the fifth episode 
um, when they're talking, when they're in Praeternia and they're talking to the, the heroes and they're like, oh, this guy, you know, he fought, he fought the Horde back in ancient times. Um, so, oh. yeah, I mean, that part I'm definitely looking forward to. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm excited to see who's going to play Hordak. Um, <laughs> I'm excited because with, with Hordak, presumably she is going to get involved and, yeah. and it'll be interesting to see who they get to do her voice. Uh, especially since there was already a fairly popular She-Ra TV series, uh, but done in a very different style. Mm-hmm. But I, I would say on a second viewing, I, I watched all these episodes twice and uh, going through the second time, I appreciated this a lot more. And I, it, you know, not being as big a fan of the franchise, I don't think I fully appreciated the interesting mix of sci-fi and fantasy that it is. And it's it's a mix that you don't really see that often, like swords and sorcery plus mm-hmm. robot arms and, and metal parts and laser guns. And this idea of a cult religious reverence of technology was I, I really like that. And I want to see more of that. And, and hopefully we will in the next season. Yeah, there's, there's certainly a lot of that in the original, too. Um, don't forget, uh, uh, yeah, Roboto is, is a classic character from the original. Um, and uh, someone someone we, we did not get to see here, but which who there were like some off, uh, some close references to, uh, Manny Faces. Um, uh, yeah, right. there, were, uh, there was a, there was a, actually in the first episode, there was the, when you know Tila's getting uh, men at arms, door knighted. Uh, there's the Orko saying ah, you're feeling many emotions. Uh, right. Very cute, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there was certainly, and they had all sorts of vehicles, and yeah, you saw certainly some of them, um, some of them in the, in the new series. So yeah, I, there was definitely this this huge mix of of technology and 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 sorcery in the original, and it's. I mean, it's it's interesting, I, yeah, to explore the premise where the sorcery part is gone. Obviously, they're still evil, and they're used to technology. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's sort of a trope, but it is a necessary bit of writing, right? It's like we've we've had a prologue. It's explained that there's been this big change, and now we have to introduce the audience to the world before we bring the main plot line back in, because I think <laughs> everyone has to know where we're grounded right now, like. They need to establish a baseline. And I think this handled that fine. Like it's, yeah. you know, it, it gives us ju- like the thing, like having them f- go for the glove before they go for the goblet gives us just enough of like, this is what life is like now. And this is how it's going to change when our big adventure starts. And then I, 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 yeah, it's not my favorite episode either, but I'm perfectly comfortable with it in there. Yeah. I, it's a, it's a, it's definitely necessary. Okay, so let's move on to episode three. It's called The Most Dangerous Man in Eternia. And this one was written by Mark Bernardin, who is a co-host of uh, Fat Man Beyond with Kevin Smith uh, and also a, a you know rising TV writer in his own right. Um, so in this one, they find Man at Arms in a village that's being attacked by Triclops and his technology cult. 
Um, they uh, are, are work together with Man at Arms and Beastman. Man at Arms takes them back to his house where he's he's keeping Orko alive with this magic water that he's collecting. Orko is all sick and, and weak because magic is disappearing. Uh, Roboto is there too, and they are uh, they're, they're all a little family keeping each other alive and, and happy. Um, but Man at Arms is basically retired, and he doesn't want to have anything to do with anything. Uh, they eventually convince them all that they need to go reforge the sword. Uh, they end up on a boat with Merman and his evil forces, and uh, they convince them to continue uh, to take them to where they need to go to get into the land of the dead to get the one half of the sword that needs to be reforged. I think that's the Cole's notes mm-hmm. of, of that one. <laughs> Did anyone else... Look at it like, oh, the sword is two swords now. I bet they're going to give it to He-Man and Tila, and they're both going to be like they men or they people. Like, like it seemed like that was an incredibly obvious direction, and I was surprised when it didn't end up that way. I was, uh, I was wondering at first if uh, it would be He-Man and, and Skeletor, because uh, you know, like the the toy at least, the Skeletor toy certainly had a uh a just a purple version of of the he-man sword um and there was there was an episode in the original where they did sort of merge the two in some way uh, so yeah i wonder i wonder uh, yeah that's what i thought at first but that would have been interesting too giving giving the one to tila and, and the other to he, uh to adam or he-man I I honestly I feel like I watched them all so quickly and and mm. in such you know, like one after another I didn't really have time to think about where it was all going I, again if it had been an episode a week I, they, those sorts of thoughts may have come to me more but this I was just like let's keep rolling and and I didn't really you think didn't too far to think ahead about it that's yeah. that's fair yeah I think that that this for me this episode was. Not my favorite, um, but it was certainly picking up from the second one. And I can see sort of, you know, continuing to build the story. It did have, for me, one of sort of like the weird, the weirdest moments to me when uh, when Man at Arms, uh, when Evelyn first describes him as uh, as the most dangerous man in Eternia, what she actually said is, I told every snake mountaineer. <laughs> <laughs> That was just so strange. Of course, <laughs> not of course. Gonna... Yeah, of course what that's I... what they would be called, right? Snake Mountaineers, okay. <laughs> I mean, they weren't the Snake Scouts or the <laughs> you know the Mountain Men. Like they needed something. The bony guys. The, this one to me had two of the uh, most interesting voice choices. Uh, Justin Long, who was, you know, I guess even to this day is still best known as the Mac from the PC versus Mac commercials of the old days, mm-hmm. but he's the voice of Roboto, and I think he did a, a great job. And then Kevin Conroy, best known as Batman for the last 20 or 30 years, did the voice of Merman, sounding almost exactly like Batman. And that felt weird to me. Like, I don't know what Merman's supposed to sound like. I can't remember what his voice originally was, but I, I don't think he sounds like matter. Batman. <laughs> um, he's, it, he, has, he has a fishy voice. Right, so, right. Yeah, right. So, I, yeah, I, I, I miss, I would have liked to see a little bit more of the fishy voice. Um, some sort of, you know, effect put over it. But, yeah, it was, it was sort of, it was, yeah, 
if if you were thinking in Batman mode, is there's there's Batman and there's the Joker, and it's just a little, it is a little off putting. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Was this also the one where Jay did a voice, or or no? I think that was the last one. I think he was Stink, or yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, I mean that was you know clearly, clearly just a little. Uh, yeah, if he's thrown Kevin to his buddy, friend. yeah, yeah. Uh, so I guess, yeah, I, I, again, uh, not a ton happens in this episode, but it built stuff. Uh, uh, Roboto won me over immediately. He sort of had that mm. data energy that I, I can't say no to where he's the robot with the heart of gold and mm-hmm. just is always the motivating force. Like we're a family and let's all work together. And, and I, something about it won me over. I, I quite like that. Orko, uh, I the, <laughs> the voice actor has a podcast that I really like. Uh, it's called Blank Check, and but he was so annoying in this. <laughs> but I guess Orko's always been annoying, so that fits. He's adorable, <laughs> and <laughs> and I would say uh, like a very good voice for Orko. A very close, actually, um, to the original. Now okay. that I think about it, yeah, maybe we should wait until the next episode until we talk about. The Orko character. Okay. Is there anything else we, we need to say about this? Like, Merman doesn't make much of an impression. There's a bit of a flashback with He-Man, but other than that, it's... Uh, yeah, it's mostly more of the same, like, establishing the baseline. This is the dark world they live in now. Yeah, they're, they're working together with Evil Lynn. There's a, they're building that trust with that character. It's an uneasy alliance, but they're all starting to get along, because that's a, an important detail. So the next episode is called Land of the Dead. Uh, this one was written by Tim Sheridan. Um, they go to Subternia, which is the He-Man version of Hell. And uh, when they get down there, they get split up. Roboto, Beastman, and Andra have to face off against Shadow Beasts. Evelyn and Orko go to Orko's home. And Tila is isolated by, I guess, the King of Hell, Scare Glow, who is... Uh, is a toy first and a character second. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. He's a toy meant to glow in the dark, and then they made him, uh, had to put make a character to justify that. But they all have to face their fears, and they learn to trust each other, and and uh, Tila makes a bargain with the devil and manages to trick him into doing what she needs. She gets the half of the sword that they want, and then they end the episode going to the He-Man version of Heaven called Praternia, where they're surprised to find Prince Adam. Uh, and that's that's where the episode ends. Yeah, yeah. I, for me, this is this is where it started to pick up quite a bit. Um, now, maybe you know, maybe I've got mixed emotions here, and it's it's in part. I, I think the the Orko sacrifice at the end was a sort of a great way to redeem the character. Right, and, I breezed over that. Remind us what what happens with Orko here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, they're they're they open the gate to Praternia, and and Scareglow is coming to attack them. He's throwing a bunch of uh, mystical, not mystical, but sort of uh, skulls, sort of things at them. And Orko goes and he throws up a magic shield. Finally, he's getting his magic right for once. Um, and he sort of he's protecting them while they're trying to. Some of them are trying to flee, but most of them are thinking, trying to sort of on the edge of going and trying to save Orko. And sort of more or less, they get they get blasted into Praternia, and Orko seemingly sort of 
dies uh, and, you know, at the same time saves them from Scareglow. And, you know, it's his, his, you know, his, his magic is finally working and it's, it's, it's great. And uh, it's sort of, yeah, redeems the character. And I mean, again, spoiler, uh, it's not the last we'll see of him, but I, I would have, I would have been fine if that was the last we saw of him. Like as a, as an end to the Orko character, that was a sort of a, a great way to wrap it up. Um, but the thing that sort of for the whole episode that was confusing me the whole time is now I loved it because of Tony Todd's voice. Yes. My God. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I was, yes, I was not always impressed as impressed with Mark Hamill's voice as I wanted to be, but no, not the same for Tony Todd. Now, am I, am I overestimating, you know, the importance of Tony Todd's voice there just because of the Star Trek associations? It's possible. But you know, even counting that out, damn, perfect. he's yeah, he's great. Tony Todd is probably best known in the rest of the world as the Candyman, right, from the Candyman movies. But for Trekkies, he's elderly Jake Sisko. He's Kern Worf's brother. He's he's a few other things. Those are the big ones. But man, he is fantastic, and he has one of the all time great voices. And for a cartoon like this. You, I, I would have wouldn't have blamed him for phoning it in a bit. Like, like mm-hmm. a phoned in Tony Todd performance is still a million times better than most people's best performance. But he gives it his all. He is so good as Scare Glow. He's like the best yeah. voice in the whole series. Absolutely, I agree. And I mean, and the the you know the ep- the progression of the episode, the story of the episode was great as well. But man, I mean, just. I'm going to watch that episode over and over again. Just, <laughs> I, just, just I am to hear Tony Todd speaking. I am getting a little tired of the, it's now you must confront your greatest fear. It's sort of like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, the, the character doubts themselves. Who knew? I wonder if they can overpower that. Right. But, but are you getting tired of Tony Todd saying that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, but, but like, the stuff where, like, I have to watch Tila running around. What's going on? What happened to my friends? Where are they? And I think they even established, like, oh, look out, there are illusions coming, and then the illusions mm-hmm. happen, and they're and it's just ah, jeez, it's, it's just that's it's it's worn to me. Like, it's like it's one of the first things in the fantasy chest, and I was kind of disappointed to see it here. Yeah, and and at the same time, you know, uh, bad luck for for the. For the other three, um, Andro Roboto and uh, Beastman, who just basically are fighting zombies. Yeah, I I can't. I've watched the episode twice. I can't remember what I'm supposed to glean from their storyline. Evelyn and Orko have uh, a real serious bonding session in uh, Orko's home of what is it? Tr- Trollo, Trollin, um, but Trolla. Yeah. So they he. That storyline is important. Teal's storyline is important. I I couldn't tell you what the point of the Roboto Android Beastman story was. Well, I mean, they had to be there. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And it was like, well, we got to find something to, for them to do. So their plot will be turning Roboto into a, a weapon. And for a show that's all based on like emotions and bonding and forgiveness, that felt weirdly 
just like a plot. Like there was no character in that. Very superficial. Yeah. Okay, let's go to heaven in episode five. Uh, the Forge at the Forest of Forever. Uh, fun to say. I, I <laughs> that one was written by Eric Carrasco. And in this one, they're in heaven. And, and Tila and Prince Adam go off and they find that they, they have to talk to the other heroes that are up there, including the King of Greyskull. Uh, the, uh, some of the other characters have to go find Hero, the, I guess, original hero, and get the, the uh, sort of power. They have to get reforged. Uh, Roboto sacrifices himself to make that happen. And uh, then they end up back in uh, Eternia, and they're about to solve all of their problems when it's revealed that Evil Lynn has been harboring, unbeknownst to her, Skeletor this entire time. He comes out of her magic wand and stabs He-Man, and we're left with uh, mm-hmm. Skeletor using the sword to summon the power of Grey Skull and uh, Prince Adam is mortally wounded and we've got for the first time ever Skeletor with the power of He-Man. Which what a great cliffhanger. Yeah. Yes. So cool. And again, that goes right back to that. Oh, what do you, like, wouldn't it be cool if Skeletor got the sword? What would happen then? Like they just, they just hit that dial and turned it right up. And it helps that the character design for whatever the God name is like for God. Skeletor is awesome. Uh, but like Skeletor that, man, they, they they do have names. I don't know what Skeletor's is. I think um, they were calling him Skelegod. Skelegod, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Either way, just the, the fantasy of that, the wouldn't it be cool if, mm-hmm. like, came through in spades. And to end it here and have to take a little break, that was great. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had conflicting feelings. I was like what a cliffhanger, but also like he just got resurrected. We just undid the whole, his whole death. And now you're killing him again. M- meaning well, Prince Adam, he man. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm okay with that bait and switch. Like that was part of the fun. Yeah. I, and you know, I mean, come on, it's still a toy line. They're not going <laughs> to let him kill he man. <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, I suppose you, you've got to, you've got to, if you, if you want to take the show seriously, you have to like, you have to buy into that moment and think, okay, like that's it. Yeah. Now it's just Tila. Yeah. Um, I don't think anyone actually believed that Adam was done for, but God Skeletor is a cool new twist that, yeah. uh, that like, that was very well hidden. So one of the things I really liked about it was the, the former champions that he meets in, mm-hmm. in heaven. Um, some of whom I think have been hinted at before, like uh hero. I, I think w- wasn't there. I don't know enough about the mythology, but there was a toy for hero that either never got made or it did. And there's been like um, hints of him in the mythology, but this is, I think our first time really seeing him or am I crazy there? Uh, he was the protagonist of the powers of Grayskull prequel that was never released. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, and, uh, Grayskull himself was from the 2002 uh, version, although sort of in, in the 2002 version, he was uh, an ancestor of Adam. Uh, and I, uh, Wondar was my favorite, right? Because Wondar was uh, the, 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 the collaboration between Mattel and Wonderbread. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a, a limited edition action figure i think that that's uh probably one of those you buy enough wonder bread and you, you send them in to get right them. yeah 
Now that, that you say that, all I can see is how he looks like a physical embodiment of Wonder Bread. Well, then it worked. That's exactly <laughs> what they wanted. And there's Vicor, who's like a prehistoric Viking version of He-Man. And uh, there's Kuduk, and she's like a, a caveman version of Sorceress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was it was nice to see that sort of. Uh... It was hard to figure out how you could have gotten, I guess you would call those Easter eggs now. Um, but it was nice to see them sort of integrate that into the, the larger storyline uh, and to see, you know, more of the ex- exploration of the, the mythology that, that happened after the original series. Um, I, I really like that. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't really know anything about these hidden things. I, I knew something about Hero and uh, I... Uh, understood that Grayskull was connected with Castle Grayskull. That's about all I knew going into this. So I just treated them as uh, new characters or just treated them as uh, not as Easter eggs, but as part of this plot. And I really enjoyed them. I enjoyed their interaction. I enjoyed what they represented. And uh, it was one of my favorite parts of the series, just watching them all pal around these giant muscly heroes who get to have their final rest in this heaven. Well, yeah, well, for for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll get to that uh, too. It was a neat thing that is saying, because obviously Prince Adam is going to leave heaven and, and join Tila on her quest. And it was kind of neat having the stakes of them saying, if you leave, that's it. You can't come back to heaven. So that what um, he's sacrificing by, by leaving is uh, it adds a lot to the scene, a lot to the, the mm. episode. It makes, gives it real stakes. I felt. Yeah, and that's one of the uh, moments where I thought he, they really got sort of the, the spirit of the original He-Man. Um, mm. You know, I was thinking back to that episode. I, I think I probably mentioned it um, the last time we were talking. The time when uh, Skeletor tricks him into thinking that he's killed someone uh, while He-Man. And he's just like, you know, I can't. That's it. I, I, I vowed never to abuse this power or harm anyone with it. And he just like, tosses the sword of power down down a it's like a an endless chasm not endless he retrieves it later but sort of he just you know he's got this like really strong uh dedication to helping people and yeah it's sort of an all or, or nothing standard there and it, yeah i thought this was really really in continuity with that and and I want to mention the voice actor who does the the voice of He-Man uh his name is Chris Wood I thought he he's very different from the original voice, but I think understandably so with the the with the more serious tone that they went for with this, he manages to do both Prince Adam and He Man in a way that I really enjoyed. And when he does the calling down the power of Gray Skull and and the transformation thing, he really gives it he does not uh you know he's many mics were sacrificed in his power <laughs> of Gray Skull yell. Mm-hmm. As well, they should. <laughs> yeah, I would say you know, in terms of in terms of the voice performances, obviously Tony Todd's at the top. I would say, yeah, I would say Chris Wood is. I, I really liked Lena Headley as uh, yeah as Evil Lynn. Um and I'm yeah, I'm not, I'm not. The geek in me wants to say Mark Hamill next, but I think I'm going to say Chris Wood next. All right. Yeah. All right. I liked I also like Dennis Haysbert as uh the 
was a King Grayskull. He he's just got this deep resonant voice, and he just you just want to trust him. You want to take that voice, wrap your, it around yourself, take a little nap in it. It's a great voice. I gotta tell you, I feel like I could take a pass on Lena Headey at this point. I feel like wow, okay. she keeps getting cast to play herself. Essentially, yeah. yeah. Like she keeps like it, like we keep, we keep getting the. And the Cersei, basically. Like, she's yeah. also been in a few other roles, but like that just would say this, well, we need a mature, powerful, but ultimately bad woman. And British. They just keep, fall- well, but it seems like to do that, it has to be British. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's difficult to, like, to, I can't imagine them establishing this really complex, motivated, internally scarred female character with a strong Aussie accent. <laughs> well, now I want to see that. All right, should we jump ahead to episode six, the mm-hmm. beginning of part two? Beginning of part two. Cleaved in Twain, written by Eric Carrasco and Kevin Smith. This uh, And this batch of episodes came out on November 23rd, so about a week ago from when we were recording. Uh, there's a flashback to Tila, uh, Tila's mother, Sorceress. That, that's just something that we haven't really talked about. They keep hinting that people are going to reveal to Tila that Sorceress is her mother, and they, they just lose the thread and they never get the chance to tell her so now we're getting a flashback where it's firmly established sorceress and man at arms are her uh parents uh sorceress is making this big sacrifice to become the sorceress of castle grayskull but that means she can't leave the castle and so she's a she won't be able to see her daughter very much like her man at arms has to raise the daughter elsewhere it's a, a sad scene uh, then we get back to the present. Skeletor's got the power. He uh, Sorceress is still there. She has just enough power to teleport Adam and Cringer and Tila and Andra to safety. Um, and then Skeletor kills her. Evil Lynn gets transformed into her replacement and Man-at-Arms is in jail. The Where they've been teleported is where... Uh, Actually, I guess they go to the the castle first, and then they have to get to the place where the king and queen are. Uh, Adam is saved, and uh, Fisto and Clamp Champ are, have helped evacuate them all. Uh, they get, but everyone's getting infected with Skeletor evil, including them, and they have to be killed. And it's all very sad. And, and this is a pretty dark episode. It is, uh, of course. You know, we we will be remiss not to mention the most screen capped line. In this episode, <laughs> uh, of course, which is uh, which is owed to Fisto, um, expressing his desire to do what he does best to Skeletor. Um, <laughs> uh, I, and I guess the, the very a last family, family friendly podcast, so I won't exactly. <laughs> I appreciate that. There. Yes, uh, it definitely know. stands out as an innuendo um, that everyone had to be thinking of when you have a character hmm. named Fisto, but he got away with it. Uh, but yeah, we were I just, someone else got cut off. But yeah, we have to mention that the, the end of this episode is where we get to our first glance like, where Adam says, well, what happens if I call down the power without the sword and become savage He-Man? Becomes right. sort of He-Man the Barbarian, uh, which is another cool thing that we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, and establishing that, yeah, it's not a good idea to do that without the sword. Yeah, and sort of, I, I got to admit, that's something that never occurred to me as as a child. Obviously, because sort of there, there's a bit of the changing of the mythology there with the sword just being the conduit. Um, but yeah, no, that was that was really interesting. Um, it, 
it made me wonder, and and again, it may be addressed somewhere in the show, but why is he able to do that and the other characters aren't? And and so maybe there's there's reasoning in the mythology, and that's what makes He Man special: the fact that he can do it, and other people can't. Other people need the sword in order to be able to harness the power. But yeah, it was, I think there's some generic like chosen one stuff happening mm-hmm. there, that, right? Which is fine. It totally fits the vibe of a fantasy thing, so no issues there. Yeah, actually, what I was sort of wondering when you look towards the end is, can anyone maybe maybe what it is is that like the you've got to have the sword the first time you do it, but after that, maybe you don't need it anymore. I mean, I'm sure there's all kinds of like you know maybe it's his bloodline, maybe it's because of, I'm sure there's all kinds of ways it could be covered. Um, but what I liked about it was the takeaway of that power isn't necessarily a good mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Uh, it, it actually made me think kind of Legend of Zelda, right? Where they have like Ganondorf is the incarnation of power, but he doesn't have wisdom or courage. And that's and so he's evil. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's a, there's sort of a, a theme throughout this second part, especially about the, the proper use of power and what it means. And that ties back into how He-Man sees himself. And this is a very, like a very clear knock on the door saying, look, just unlimited power without, not shackles, but without controls, like that's not going to work for anybody. And this was a really, it was a really deep way to express it and also really mm. fun to watch. Because we'll get to that in the next episode, but Savage E-Man's a blast. (laughs) Yeah, poor Manticore. Yeah, I, the other thing that I really liked about this is when Evil Lynn is transformed into the sorceress, and I, it was something that has happened in the previous episodes, her betrayal of her new friends and returning to Skeletor. But in turning into the new sorceress, one of the, the consistent aspects of the sorceress is that she's got this eagle look to her. But the evil version of sorceress, the new Evil Lynn, she gets this bat head. I thought that was a really cool touch. Mm-hmm. It's a shame we never got to see her transform into a bat flying around. Outside. Yeah. Yeah, she became a uh, Lin God by that time. Whatever you would call that. Yeah. yeah. I'm reading it as God Lin, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get there too. Okay. Okay, so next episode, uh, episode seven, Reason and Blood, written by Tim Sheridan. I, I got a little ahead of myself. This is when they uh, mm-hmm. get teleported away from from the attack on the castle, and they, they escape um, Skeletor, uh, who is getting ready to, to kill Adam yet again. They end up in the Mystic Mountains, and um, they are running around with this with this uh, unleashed Hulk version of He-Man. Uh, they end up finding the king and queen and uh, King Randor uh, apologizes. They have a tearful reunion and, and uh, Randor tells him uh, everything an abused child would want to hear from their father in uh, an apology. And, and it returns him back to Prince Adam. Meanwhile, beast man and evil Lynn are, are hanging out with Skeletor and Skeletor is being a real jerk to evil Lynn and beast man's like evil Lynn, why do you put up with this? And, uh, that's it's an important thing for what's to come. They they're putting these seeds of doubt into them as to um, Skeletor's rule. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you, Randor's complete one hundred and eighty and apology. I get that it's a cartoon and they have limited time, but that happened really fast. Uh, I mean, 
considering there was at least one time jump, maybe he's had time to like really reconsider his things. Or maybe it's like he didn't really like Prince Adam. Thought Prince Adam was kind of a lame wad, but he loved He Man, and now he found out that Prince Adam was He Man. Now he can be finally he finally can be proud of his son, and that's why the turnaround happened. I, but even then, just the, like, oh, there it is. It's my son. Oh, and he's a crazy, savage barbarian monster. But, hey, first thing, and just unload all these emotions <laughs> instantly. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I found it a little – I don't think it happens like that, really. But, again, cartoon, I'm okay with it. But I it knocked mm. me out, like, of the immersion for a while. Yeah, I, it's sort of the, the – there's a, a weird disconnect here between sort of – He's able to make that that turnaround in the time that's passed, uh, but you know initially Tila wasn't right, um, and so it's 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 just juxtaposing the fact that she just like stayed on that like I'm I'm angry I'm angry you all betrayed me and and maybe Randor's learned some lessons. Yeah, Tila should have uh, maybe learned some two lessons as well, but you know. At least, at least we. I guess you know she's the sort of one of the main characters of this. And and you know to be fair, to all against all the people who are complaining about this, she was a very prominent character in, in the original series. So yeah, you, you do have to give some more time for her to sort of come come around on screen, I guess. And I do think that there's a lot of there, there is more to do with her, like like He Man is kind of an uncomplicated character at the heart of it and, and in the original series. And mm-hmm. Tila, because there are all these secrets hidden from her, there's more that you can do with her having these things revealed to her. Like there aren't any secrets from He-Man. He knows everything in the original series. And and so it's it, it makes more sense for her to be the, the central character of this, to have stuff be revealed to her so that the audience can also have it revealed to them if they are new. Like me, yeah. The Tila, I get the the, the parents. I, I don't know. I would have cut the entire parent arc and just have Tila starting to come around be the thing to turn him back. It just seemed cluttered to me. I didn't. I didn't need that. Well, I mean, Alicia Silverstone and and Diedrich Bader need work though. And you know, <laughs> I say, actually, I think they did really well, especially Diedrich Bader. I mean, that it was just. Yeah, I think he he's a great voice actor for sure. Um, yeah, and he's also a Batman, and yet he manages to do a voice that doesn't sound like Batman. Yeah. <laughs> but he he was great. I don't want to. I don't want to mm-hmm. crap on Kevin Conroy. He's a, a brilliant guy, brilliant voice actor, and I, I love his Batman. It's just weird that that's all he does. Anyway, uh, do shall we move on to the next episode? Yeah, yeah. So it's called the Gutter Rat, and this one was written by Daya Mishra. Uh, in this, uh, Andra gets uh, enlisted as a lieutenant of the Royal Guard. It's a very proud moment for her. Uh, Adam learns that his parents have split up since his death, or at least are on in a rocky patch because death of a child will do that, even if it's their child is some weird barbarian god man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Evil Lynn gets, uh, confronts Man at Arms, who, even though he's in, in prison with this weird octopus monster, uh, makes her feel bad about how Skeletor treats her. And uh, she 
decides to betray Skeletor and does this weird, I don't know, felt very out of place sexual uh She seduces him. Seduces him. That's a good point. In a way that makes everyone in the audience wonder if this skeleton man actually has genitals. Because (laughs) a question I never really wanted to have to ask. And yet there's no avoiding it because like this is not off screen. This is not Mm. caddy. Like this is full on, yep, this is what's happening. This is where we're going. As you can tell, I was uncomfortable watching it. I'm uncomfortable describing it. It was very Kevin Smith, the the weird, barely innuendos in their conversation. But she does it to trick him to so that she can get the sword and get the power for herself. She gets him to depower. She takes the sword and she becomes the new master of the universe. Yeah, I'll you know I I cringed. I've watched that scene a couple times, unfortunately, and I cringed <laughs> every time. Well, maybe more than a couple. Uh, I think in the you had to get him to depower somehow to move the story along. And it feels weird. He doesn't. He's yeah. never come across as like a sexual character. So to have the way you trick him be to get him. Um, yeah, you know, worked it's, up. Yeah, it's it's way out of place, and it does. The thing is, is it doesn't have anything to do with him. It has to do with her, and this is an ugly trope. Yeah. But this shows up a lot, especially in fantasy, where the way you know a woman is evil is if she's sexual. Yeah, like, and because she's evil, Lynn, she's going to trick him by leading him around by his sex because that's what bad women do. <laughs> Like it's it's a very like nineties. I mean, much earlier, yeah. but I think it hit its worst there. And it's it's uncomfortable because it doesn't make sense at all in this context. Somebody should have caught this before it hit the screen. But it's also this really it says ugly things about what the people making this show think of women. And hmm. um, I mean, I'm not comfortable with it on a lot of levels. Yeah, you know, and come to think of it, there was this, uh, there were other ways to do it, uh, to trick him into depowering, right? There was a, you know, he was, he was wondering, um, after Adam called down the power without the sword, how could he do that? Well, you know, um, trick him into giving it a try, right? Yeah. Yeah, that works and it fits in and it's been established by the earlier stuff. That would be great. Yeah. Anyway, besides the almost sex scene, which, <laughs> um, now this is also where we get uh, like Evelyn's backstory, right? That's where the the episode title comes from, mm-hmm. uh, where we find out that uh, like she was a, like a street, she was an Aladdin basically before Skeletor took her in and trained her up to be a wizard lady, and so she feels indebted to him, and he's controlling her, and it's this portrait of an abusive relationship that um, is. It's very well drawn out, frankly. Like it's it's a mm-hmm. it's exactly the model of how that kind of thing works, and it's very grown up. Which does it make us sympathetic for Evil Lynn? I mean, maybe we see like from her perspective, we understand why Evil Lynn does what she does. I yeah, I almost wonder if it was if that part of the story was there to balance out that that uncomfortable, almost sex scene. Right, um, because they had to have known that 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 was just gross um, on so many levels. Not just you know the 
ugh, the physical repulsion of, of kissing Skeletor, but <laughs> the, you know, but yeah, the, 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 the sci-fi trope about how women get power. Um, and I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's a little bit of sort of redemption in there insofar as they're exploring an abusive relationship. But the other side of that is, but, but, you know, like not, not all women have to be uh, powerless because of abusive relationships. Right. Yeah. You know, I think this was probably, it wasn't my least favorite episode, but I think now that now that we've talked about it a bit more, I think it was the least well done episode. Yeah, I think this is the one episode I would call out as saying this one was a bit of a misstep. Um, it gets everyone where they need to be, but establishing the motivations are awkward, uh, and the and the just the sex thing it's is entirely its own thing. It's so out of place. Yeah, uh, I I think I, again I, maybe I'm a, a sucker for this sort of stuff, but I thought her transformation into Godlin was cool, and and it's it's neat seeing these other characters with that power and and the new look, the transformation that comes with it. I mean, but, yeah, love the character design yeah, for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that yeah, that's but but again that all that could have happened without. Without the stuff that we've been critiquing, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the 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 stuff that like the 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 the, the woman stereotypes, the, the, these old like it takes away from her character, mm-hmm. having to rely on these tropes. But at the end, Skeletor is depowered and shamed, and she is now God, and it was cool. And uh, you know, you, you you thought this was building up to a confrontation versus God Skeletor? Nope, twist. Yeah. Yeah, so and it, a secondary twist of it is that at the end of the episode, Prince Adam is saying, oh, we need all the help we can get. I take help from anyone. And then the doors open. And sure enough, it's Skeletor who's come to join them because, <laughs> you know, he's he doesn't want the evil Lin's plan is to destroy the universe. And the universe being destroyed doesn't do anything for for Skeletor. He, he needs there to be a universe so that he can rule it. Uh Evil in is just like pure nihilism. She just wants all she sees in the universe is suffering, and so she wants to destroy it all. I think this also this episode other detail from this episode that uh, we find out is that uh, Tila has learned that the sorceress is her mother or was her mother. Yes, uh, which uh, established precedent in in the original. Um, interestingly enough. Uh, Man at Arms was not her father uh, in the original, so that's okay. I guess you know you can change a few yeah. things here and there. Well, he uh, was certainly a father figure, though, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, okay. And I, I, you know, there's uh, in, in the original, um, the, she's the sorceress's daughter, and he sort of finds uh, finds her basically in, in a nest um, on a on a high cliff, and and adopts her. Uh, and I mean, I, that, that was sort of a, you know, a nice feature of the original that, uh, they had a a very close relationship and, uh, and it didn't, you know, it didn't necessarily depend on, on blood or anything like that. Uh, so I don't, I don't know, I don't know why that needed to be changed, but Mm. okay. Let's, I guess a, a minor point, a minor point, um, but yeah, I, I, 
I do have to say I liked the nihilism of, of Godlin. That for me was sort of, uh, I guess, one of the saving graces of this episode. But you know, I you know, I I, I love nihilism myself, so uh, <laughs> maybe I've I've strange tastes. Uh, okay, well, let's jump over to episode nine, second last episode, uh, "Hope mm-hmm. for a Destination," written by Tim Sheridan. Uh, Ultimately, I don't know that a ton that happens here. Tila uses her or tries to use her magic powers to send out a message. She doesn't think she's done it. Uh, He-Man and or rather Prince Adam. I got to get better at that. Prince Adam and Skeletor uh, arrive at Grayskull to fight Godlin. And meanwhile, uh, Andra and Tila sneak in through the basement uh, to do whatever they're going to do. They find Man-at-Arms. Man-at-Arms says that he could hear her message, even though she didn't think she had gotten through. And uh, just as Godlin thinks that uh, she's she's won, it turns out that all of the, the uh, Eternia is co- has come together to fight her. And so she summons up Scareglow and his army of the undead to fight for her. Uh, so that's that's what happens in mm. this one. Of course, uh, I, I think this was one of those sort of, all right, the, you know, we, we want to have a big one for the end. Uh, you know, we've got to keep the story moving. So let's put in as many Easter eggs as we can mm. before we lose the <laughs> chance. Uh, so this was the, uh, there was the, the clueless as if in this episode. Um, of course, uh, which is, you know, because, uh, Alicia Silverstone plays, uh, Queen Marlena and I don't know if you're aware, but she was in this movie called Clueless at one point in time. And that was the catchphrase of her character. Definitely Um, missed that reference. Did you? Yeah. I guess I'm not a big enough Clueless fan. Wow. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so so again, it's an okay episode. It's there's a lot of more you know bonding stuff between Man at Arms and and Tila. Uh, you get to see some sort of payoff for the octopus creature that Man at Arms was was in a jail cell with, but that again doesn't amount to much. So it, it's it's a lot of of laying groundwork for the the big final fight. Uh, a lot happens in the next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was nice to see Scareglow back and getting to hear m- more of that Tony Todd. Yeah. But yeah, the the whole thing was definitely just, it was setting up for the final episode. I mean, that's, that's, that's just, mm-hmm. that's going to happen. I can't think of, I can't think of an example of any series, whether a TV, comic book, even the act structure in the movies where act four is going to be as cool mm-hmm. as act five. It doesn't work that way. Um, you need to put all, you need to get all your pieces on the chessboard before you can go for the checkmate. And that's what this had to do. It's not its fault that uh, this was just a, like this episode was to get everyone in the right place for awesome stuff to happen next. Yeah. And, and certainly, uh, I would say an improvement from the previous one. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Nothing yeah. directly awkward and uncomfortable <laughs> about this one. Yes. Yes. Okay, so in the final episode, comes with everything you see here, written by Eric Carrasco. They, uh, so Scareglow's army comes about. Uh, Tila reconciles with her mother and becomes the new sorceress. 
but somehow is able to leave the, the castle as opposed to all the previous sorceresses who had to stay in the castle. As a result of Scareglow's army coming to life, Orko also was resurrected and he's got a cool new outfit and he's got better control of his power and he is able to fight and defeat Scareglow. Uh, Adam gets his hands on the sword and becomes He-Man again and uses his power to transform Skeletor into the, you know, He-Man version of Skeletor, the master of the universe, the way he normally does with Cringer, turning him into Battle Cat. Uh, Godlin has her power. Evelyn has all this uh, power. She She's still going to destroy the universe. She Even Adam getting the power back doesn't uh, drain her of her power. Um, Tila and Evelyn have a heart to heart and, uh, Evelyn realizes that, uh, the universe also has good stuff in it and she, she becomes good again. Uh, the evil is banished back to Subternia. Skeletor is still a jerk, but gets his uh, power taken out of him again. Uh, we flash forward into a, an epilogue where, uh, Andra becomes the new man at arms, Evil Lynn goes to Trolla and leaves her magic staff there. And in the final segment, Skeletor has been captured by Triclops and his motherboard cultists and gets infected with this, this stuff. He basically becomes Borg uh, Skeletor. And it's revealed that motherboard is actually Hordak or, or the symbol of Hordak and the Horde. Mm-hmm. A lot happens there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But- Quite a bit does. Um, I th- I think one of the things that I liked most about this episode was the the He Man Skeletor dynamic because um, it's you know completely completely in character with He Man to say, all right, you know Skeletor, I'm going to give you a chance. I want you to have a chance to be a hero. I want you to know what what it could be like to not just act for yourself and act for the good of others. And of course. What does Skeletor do? <laughs> he maybe tries that for a bit, realizes it's not going to work, or or rather he realizes that, like, Teal's gone off to fight Evelyn. He's not going to be able to affect that. So what can he do? Can he help fight the Shadow Beast and save other people? Or can he try to get something for himself? And, well, that's what he does. Tries to kill He-Man. Doesn't exactly work out so it's a it's an interesting sort of like moral on the effectiveness of just selfishness and it's almost as if i found myself wondering if at the end they really they're trying to characterize uh skeletor as evil or or as foolish i think both i think it's like to be that evil you also have to be that foolish I I read this thing just before we got started and it was, it's, uh, you know, internet nonsense masquerading as criticism, but it was like, oh, it was so stupid for He-Man to, to give Skeletor the power. Why would he do that? He knows what would happen. Like He-Man or Skeletor is always evil. Of course he's going to betray him. And I was like, well, of course we as an audience know that that is the most likely outcome, but I don't want He-Man it wouldn't suit mm-hmm. He-Man's character not to be trusting or not to be willing to give him a second chance. Like he's kind of like Steve Rogers that way, the Captain America. He's always going to believe that there's good in the person. And I, I think it would have been weird for him not to do that. I think it's such a great moment of mm-hmm. trust, even if it is ultimately not rewarded. It's, it's a great 
character trait. Yeah, I, I would. I don't know if I would necessarily say that he trusted Skeletor, right? Um, and I, he he trusted he, the power of good would compel him. Yeah, or at least wanted to give him the chance. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I it maybe uh, I read it as as that one that he wanted to give him the chance because I think that's even a more powerful message. He's not like foolishly trusting him that he's going to do the right thing. He's, Maybe there's a chance. Maybe I can redeem him. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, I know I can, I can take yeah. care of him if I have to. I'm <laughs> He-Man after him all. like 80 previous times. <laughs> Not a huge risk. Yeah. So I really like that. Um, Did uh, anyone else feel a little meh about forgiving Evil Lynn at the end? And just sort of letting her go? Um... No, I mean, I I don't think, I guess in, in a real world context, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But seeing her motivation and, and getting to know the character, I sort of, I, I get it. Like, like she, she was just in a dark place, man. You know, she, she was having a, a rough day and, and didn't see any good in the world. And, and Tila helped her see the light. So I, I, I especially if you strip her of her power, mm-hmm. I don't see any harm in letting her go. And I think it's so it's it's in it's in continuity with with the good guy philosophy in that uh, in that universe, right? Um, the person's no longer a threat, so we don't need to punish them. Um, if they become a threat, we'll do something about it. Otherwise, let them live their life. Yeah. Okay. Cartoon logic. I'll I'll live with it, but I sort of felt like it was. You know, everything is terrible and I'm going to basically pull a double Thanos. It's like, no, it's not. Oh, okay. Then everything's <laughs> fine. Well, and, and, you know, the, as the sorceress, I'm sure Tila can see into evil Lynn's heart and see that she had genuinely changed and, and, you know, was uh, able to, to sure. Like, sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. You're good. But also she's depowered now. And, you know, if you have to take care of her, yeah, it's going to be a lot easier. Yeah, I, I ultimately, I'm not, I'm not a huge He-Man guy. The show didn't convert me. I, I don't think if we were doing this podcast, I, if we weren't doing this podcast, I don't know that I would have watched the whole series. Certainly not twice. But I have to say that ending with Skeletor getting assimilated and the revelation of the Hordax symbol was was pretty cool and might have gripped me into giving it a shot for the next season. Yeah, I I am I am definitely looking forward to that. I mean, when I first saw that, you know, confession I've been watching Gargoyles a lot recently and my thought was, man, I want to see Keith David as Hordak. Come on. Oh, that's a good pull. Or, or Clancy Brown maybe, you know. Um, <laughs> now you're just making me want to see a, a Gargoyles reboot done this sort of style. You did be on for that, that already. But... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Different podcast, though. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. I think that it, it it was a great combination of like you know growing it up, but still having the same sort of ridiculous joy of the original. Mm-hmm. I think it 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 like it was a it was done perfectly so that like the first two seasons of the show could be enjoyed when I was ten, and the this season of the show can be enjoyed in my thirties. Yeah. It was done perfectly to to straddle that gap. I was I was overall very impressed with what I watched. 
I will say that one thing I hope they stop doing going forward is the every episode it felt like there would be a moment where all seemed lost our heroes were about to be defeated and then out of nowhere another character would appear and and save them and it happened again and again and again sometimes it would be that and then the villains would get a new twist to their power and defeat that new character and then another character would come to save them and it just happened over and over it was so tiresome yeah, if you're when you're dealing with toy shows uh, that you don't have much of a choice there. <laughs> That's just from He-Man to the Transformers to what have you when you have 90 different slightly different colored toy figures on the shelf, you got to highlight them all somehow. I guess it was just like the constant reversal. It was every episode there'd be a moment where everything seemed lost and then be a reversal and uh, the the bad guys would then be pinned down and then another reversal and the good guys we, would be pinned. Yeah, we we get it. And yeah. I'm, I'm not arguing with you. You're not wrong. I'm saying that you have no choice. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it also could have been worse, right? Remember, you know, earlier I was saying there was those sort of like references to many faces without including him. It's as if yeah. they said, okay, we acknowledge he was a part of the original, but I can't. We can't figure out what to do with him. How could he actually save the day, right? Uh, and there was no, there was no mechanic. Uh, as hey, Ram Man showed up. Yeah, yeah, but but he can rend things, right? <laughs> That's useful. <laughs> You're, okay, fair enough. All right, so I guess uh, I guess that sums it up. We're all on board for a second season, which is not where I thought we would land when when this series started. So uh, good on them. Yeah, it's it's yeah. nice to see Kevin Smith making stuff that you don't need to be high to enjoy for once. I hope he continues in that direction. As do I. All righty. Well, uh, I guess Dr. Schranz, I mean, it's always a blast to have you on the show, and I'm glad we were able to tap into the infinite well of Grayskull knowledge that you bring. So thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And, well, and may the power be with you. <laughs> and you. And with you, sir. <laughs> While we are giving out power, <laughs> the, uh, we'll be remiss not to offer some power to Oliver Wickham, the guy behind our theme song. Uh, he's, he's pretty awesome. He's got a bunch of cool stuff up on Spotify. Please give him a look. And uh, offering a bit of the power of Grace Skull to you, uh, our listeners, the folks in the community, the folks who provide feedback, and the folks who just use us to, to make that morning drive a little bit easier. Um, we are having a blast here, and we hope you are too. If you had other thoughts about Masters of the Universe Revelation, if there's something we got wrong, if there's some weird character we overlooked, I know there are, because there are a lot of them. Uh, we'd love to hear about it and just keep that conversation going. Graham, how can they get that to us? Please email us at geektop5 at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash geektop5, and we're on Twitter at geektop5. You can also go to geektop5.com and leave comments under every episode. It has its own page. And please go to your podcatcher of choice and rate and review us. Those ratings and reviews, super helpful to give us an idea of where the podcast is being listened to and how, in addition to knowing if we, whether or not you're enjoying it, if there's anything you think we should change. So please, would really appreciate any feedback you could send. Otherwise, uh, Masters of the Universe Revelation, there's 10 episodes. Uh, it's available now on Netflix and uh, 
mostly just Netflix, I think. Uh, <laughs> but uh, there's that, and you can still find a bunch of the other He-Man stuff floating around right back to the classics. Uh, whatever era you're looking for, it's more than enough to keep you busy until we have a chance to do this again. Until then, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. We'll talk to you again next week.